Introducing the amazing iPhone XS you'll love on T-Mobile, the most loved in wireless. It's the perfect way to stay connected to those you heart most. Fall in love with iPhone XS on T-Mobile. And right now, trade in an eligible iPhone and you'll save $300. Visit a store or call 1-800-T-MOBILE. If you cancel service, remaining balance is due. Qualifying service and finance agreements required. $279.99 down plus $30 per month times 24. Full price $999.99. 0% APR for well-qualified buyers plus tax on full price. Allow eight weeks for rebate. Hello and welcome. It's your uh, Sunday Managing Madrid podcast. This is your host, Gabe Lezra. I'm coming to you from a uh, very beautiful Washington, D.C. Joined, as always, by Keon Sabani. Hey, Keon. Hey, Gabe. How are you? I'm doing well. And uh, joined also for the first time as official co-host, um, Om Arvind. Om, welcome. Welcome to the show. Yo, thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, I mean, having you on, like, you're going to be on now. Like, this is... Yeah. Yeah. I got, shit, an, I got an email from Om's mom, and she just was saying, <laughs> please just keep Om occupied. Bring him on the podcast. I don't, you know, just to keep him off the streets, keep him out of trouble. Oh, so we brought see, you on. Keon got that email. I'm getting paid. So, like, we're babysitting. It's cool, though, like, making you feel important. No, I mean, like, we're psyched to have Om on. Like, it's awesome. Uh, and uh, we're really excited to have the um, best football mind uh, at Managing Madrid on the show with us finally <laughs> after all this time. She also said, please teach him something about tactics because no- he knows nothing. And he, right. he-, <laughs> he keeps using these fancy words like half space and zone 14 acting like, you know, he knows something. But he just, yeah, it's all, it's all garbage. You guys, you guys have figured me out. <laughs> Well, it's good because like the whole point of sounding really smart is just saying really big words and hoping no one understands what the fuck you're saying. And, and um, got to say confidently as well. That's the key. That is a big, big important thing. And speaking of that, Real Madrid 3, Ibar 0 in the Bernabeu. Guys, it was, uh, it was a little bit more of a cakewalk. I mean, it wasn't a cakewalk, but it was a much, much more confident Real Madrid result, I guess, than... I sort of expected. I know that Abar has not been really the team of last season, but you know, two two nothing in the first thirty minutes or so, kind of wrapping up the game already. That was uh, that was big for this side at home. Yeah, I thought I thought it was like it was a comfortable win filled with kinks and things to improve on, but just comfortable. Like you know, like I think with all the things that we could have improved on, at never at no point did I really feel threatened by Abar. To, to punish us for it. And apart from like a few moments in the first half where um, like Isco made a, Isco and Casemiro both made a couple misplaced passes and Abar could counter. One, Charles, who was holding up the play and waiting for Abar to kind of catch up, he just had a bad game. His decision making was bad. And Inui kind of uncharacteristically wasn't himself either. So they just could never punish us for it. Yeah, it seemed like there was time after time where it, it looked like Abar was about to have a, a really you know tough, complicated break, and then someone would make a huge mistake. Like there was a moment at two on one 
where uh, uh, Abar broke, and instead of passing to Inui, who would have been one-on-one with the keeper, or at least it would have been very close to it, uh, Carlos or, or, or whoever, I think it was him, yeah. took a shot from like midfield, yeah. and it was, was terrible. That was horrible. One of the worst oh. shots I've ever seen. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I mean, my my feeling was like this: this game, Madrid could have been punished by a team that was a little bit more on the mark. But it was lucky that they were playing an Avar side that was, I think, very you know, I think very positive in in its approach, but just lacked you know the technical definition that that would have made the game uh, even complicated at all for Madrid. Um. Yeah. I mean. I, I agree with generally with these takes, um, but there's there's kind of like a general trend I'm seeing like speaking tactically now, you know, using those big words, um, <laughs> uh, like I because going back like backtracking all the way to to when Zidane like first came on, we we were all having these discussions, you know, uh, what, how 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 is Zidane gonna, gonna come out tactically? And a lot of us wrote some pieces, and I think Keon noted that. Uh, Zidane took some lessons with Guardiola, like, one-on-one. And it, in the beginning, it really seemed like Zidane wanted this free-flowing, fluid football, short passing all, passing all the way up the pitch. And then over time, he seemed to become a little more defensive, a little more pragmatic, and everything was more structured. And I think we're going back to that phase where Zidane feels comfortable enough in his mind that he wants to go back to that total football style where just everyone's interchanging positions, things are super fluid, and you, you can't really tell who's where because, honestly, I don't know what position Isco and Asensio were playing throughout the game because they were literally everywhere. And while I think that that kind of forward thinking in, in a tactical sense is good, I also think there were some issues with that that we've seen not just in this game but in previous games in the sense that when you want to be this fluid, you have to do it sort of methodically, um, which sounds kind of counterintuitive. But, for example, if you have... Um, Isco move into the striker position. You need the striker to move into the left wing position. You can't just have people moving all over the place so that you have six men on the left side of the field and no one on the right side of the field. And the reason that's important, not so much for our offense because we always manage to make it work, but for our defense, right? Because Ibar, with one pass, was just into into like our defensive yeah. third, and they were making poor decisions and they didn't make us pay for it. And because if you have players all over the place. You, you're not in a structure to press immediately after you lose the ball. And that's something Zidane wants to do. So we were getting cut open time and time again. I saw that a little bit in the Tottenham match where Harry Winks was just destroying our midfield. And he's a good player, but Harry Winks should not be destroying a midfield of, of Modric, Kroos, and Casemiro the way that he did um, on, on, on a couple of occasions. So I think that's something Zidane really wants to work on moving forward if he wants to play that kind of total football style. Yeah, for sure. I I mean, I was thinking exactly that, especially in situations where if you looked at, for example, a couple of moments in the first half where it would end up with, you know, Isco and Asensio and uh, uh, Teo and, you know, Modric kind of shading over all of those guys in the in the far left corner. And then they'd all have the ball and, and trying to figure out what to do with it. And then as soon as, let's say, there was a cross that was intercepted, there's no one in the middle of the pitch to make life difficult for the mm-hmm. for the ball carrier who's looking for an outlet to move the ball forward really quickly. Yeah, and and I, that's why I'd say, in my opinion, Varane was the best player um, in the match because 
time and time again, he was facing counterattacks that were like three versus two, one versus one, and his yeah. positioning was brilliant. Like, if it wasn't for Varane, this game could have gotten a lot uglier than it did. And and assuming that Ibar made the right decisions in the final third. Um, so I think he bailed us out a little bit, which I guess is all you can ask for, right? Because, I, I you know, I think Varane's done brilliantly this season, and this match is kind of cementing him. You know, he's he's definitely staked his claim to be considered a world-class defender. Yeah, he really is. And it, he, we already knew he had world-class speed, but if anyone had any question about that, I mean, he, he was playing uh, on a lot of levels, like the way Sergio Ramos would kind of shade up the pitch, but on was over and over again the last defender for Madrid. And that's that's a precarious position to be in at the professional level. Like a lot teams don't tend to play with one defender kind of sweeping up. Like that's kind of like a amateur move when you have just one fast defender that you stick at the back and say, all right, Make sure you outrun anyone for any balls. But Baran is literally fast enough to get to some of these passes where, I mean, you know, and, and, and we were remarking on Teo's speed during this match. But I thought, I mean, like, just it's worth underlining again how absolutely incredibly fast Baran is. He just would outrun anyone in the in these situations where, you know, a slower defender wouldn't just get beat, but he'd get beat down the pitch also uh, where the other team would get a one-on-one. I don't know, Keon. Are you feeling like, uh, yeah? What what you you mentioned some more kinks? What is this? Can't be the only kink that you you noticed. Yeah, just quickly, just I wanted to just obviously add, and I agree with you guys completely about Varane because he's been, and, and it's not just that he's been good, like subtly good, like he's been just a good defender, like he's being constantly tested, mm-hmm. like we are literally just throwing him out there in you know to and putting him in the most precarious positions and asking him to kind of backpedal by himself and outrun the, you know, and act as like the last stopgap. And he's doing incredible. And, you know, this game, he had five interceptions, seven clearances, which is far above, like, way more than anyone else had in this game. Um, I think Ohm touched, in a way, kind of encapsulated a lot of the kinks because to me, like, a lot of the things that Ohm was saying or were like all the alarm bells that I have seen the last few games. Um, especially the, the the issue of one any team can with one pass open this up. And yeah. against Tottenham, it wasn't even a team playing a pass. It was like and there was an example of East Go taking a bad corner, and that's all it took for <laughs> the for the for the team to face a wave of a really dangerous counterattack which Tottenham can obviously exploit way better than Abar can. Um, I think the interchangeability thing is interesting. Um, you know, like, when you, when you replace Kroos for Ceballos, like, they're such different players. Like, even though you can kind of say they play the same position and you just replace Kroos in the trio with Ceballos, Kroos, like, very much kind of, like, sticks to that left side and plays deeper Occasionally ventures forward, plays some great vertical passes. And Ceballos was kind of all over the place. He didn't mm-hmm. offer um he didn't offer Casemiro that thing that Cruz and Waters do where Casemiro darts up the field and they cover for him. Casemiro <laughs> just stayed deep and Ceballos and Modric were just kinda of in front of him acting out as outlets. But also Ceballos would roam a lot. And I wonder I think I'm really interested to just you know, keep tabs on this because I think Ceballos is in many ways the future of both Spain and, and Real Madrid, or at least part of it. And Isco and Asensio are in that same boat too. And they all played together, and I'm not sure Ceballos has ever played with so many 
ball dominant midfielders together in one lineup. It was never like that in Spain under 17. It certainly wasn't like that at, at Betis. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. I wonder how like he gets accustomed to that because he was kind of he was given a bit of a free role. Like I don't know if it was intentional, but he was all over the place too, like, you know, horizontally. And so was Isco. And I wonder if you know, if you look at the build up to the first goal, the own wait, was the first one with the own yeah, the or the second goal, sorry. The one that Asensio scored. It was Isco, Ceballos, and Modric just like yeah. passing it to each other constantly until like Teo made that run and then Isco centered it. And it was it's kind of interest, interesting to follow, but I, I do think there are there are some kinks there that I'm not sure we'll see in big games when Cruz is there. It's interesting that you like point out the difference between Kroos and Ceballos. And I think that underlines why Kroos is so important, right? Because Ceballos didn't have a bad game by any means and even contributed to the second goal, like you said. But he was in a, like you said, he, he was in a game with a lot of other uh, uh, ball carriers with him. And no one was, if you think about it, no one was really controlling the tempo of the game. When Cross is there, it's him. You know, everyone knows you're supposed to pass the ball to him and he'll distribute things. And for us, it was kind of just everyone was doing it. And Modric, to an extent, can do it. But I don't really feel like we have anyone at, at the Cross kind of level that can, that can control the tempo of the play, slow things down. Because without him, I just feel like the pace of the game can get away, with, get away from us, you know, sometimes. And yeah. I, was seeing, I was seeing a couple of tweets again, like Squawka put up like a pass map of Cross where like, I think it was against Tottenham. I, I could be wrong. Or it was a game before where he only misplaced like two or three passes. And there were a bunch of people that were like, oh, Kroos only plays sideways passes. He's overrated. So that's back again. I, I, I think like in the face of that, it's important to like nail down exactly like this is why Kroos is important because he controls games in a way that almost no other player can. He's also really, I, and one of the things that I um, noticed and, and, and kind of commented on at halftime was yeah, I, I and I think this this feeds into this because I I had mentioned that I'd wanted a little bit more defensive presence from people like Ceballos, and I think what what I was isolating that I didn't have I hadn't really put into context yet was that what Kroos brings to this side is actually a really acute understanding of how to manipulate space and understand how space works both on the offensive end but also on the defensive end in a way that I think Ceballos just isn't there yet with and so for when I said something like I wanted Ceballos to be you know more involved defensively I didn't necessarily mean that he wasn't chasing people around and hounding people but it just felt like he wasn't in the right place most of the time and that you know kind of feeds into this whole conversation about what Kroos brings to the table because he's not you know a perfect defensive player but he certainly mm-hmm. does have a really acute understanding of where the space is behind him and where he should be to make you know the the uh, the, the attacking player's life more difficult yeah it's and Ceballos did hound like he he just wasn't just playing that deep I found like he but he was hounding and he was working hard like you know again like I I think when Om said Ceballos isn't bad like he wasn't great like I I I, I'm kind of there. Like that's that's how I saw it. I don't think he was otherworldly or anything, but mm-hmm. I think he was. I think he was good, and I and I get and I get excited about his performances because I know he's yeah. such a long term project, right? And I, I mean, look, I really loved I and I really liked watching him play. I think he brings a huge, you know, different vibe to this this center midfield that really is useful and key on in matches where, you know, I we both you know. M- talked about how bringing Ceballos in in matches like 
you know, the one last week against Hitafe would have been a really smart decision mm-hmm. given like the way the team gets stuck in, you know, and that's, so this isn't a take away from what he definitely does bring to the side. It's just in a situation where he is given this huge amount of freedom. He needs to understand how to exploit that freedom on the offensive end and also rein himself in enough that he is in a liability, you know, defensively in, in, in trying to defend space. And I would also mention that this wasn't just a Thelaya's problem. Oh, you, you mentioned, like, of course, like, <laughs> we talked a little bit about how Madrid was super vulnerable mm-hmm. on corner kicks, right, on counterattacks off of offensive corner, attack, corner kicks. And that is a problem that we've noticed all season, or at least I have, and I don't know you know, what, what the issue was exactly against Spurs, but it felt like every single Madrid corner kick, there was a break and a break on goal. And, and it felt like there was some miscommunication in midfield that allowed for, you know, that it wasn't just a pass. It was suddenly, suddenly someone would get the ball and just run through Madrid's midfield. And, you know, if, if, if that means dropping someone back in addition to a couple of the other players, then that's what it has to do because these corner kicks, you know, this, these counterattacks on corner kicks are not a joke. And this happening, it's happening too much against top teams to, to be kind of fluky. Like, they, they really are breaking. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, I, I'd say that's a fair assessment. It goes back really to this. I mean, not so much on corner kicks, really, because that's just, like, more of a simple thing to solve. But just in general, because, like, with the whole freedom thing with Ceballos, it goes for all players as well. In that Zidane kind of needs to sit down with the players and figure out how 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 to get them to interchange in a way that keeps our stable our, our structure stable. Because when people think about fluidity, they think, um, oh, it's just people moving all over the place. But in football, in a way that's going to be productive for your team, it's players moving in a way that keeps your structure essentially the same. So the structure never changes, but the players do. I think I think that's a good way to think about it. And I think that's definitely... I, I can't imagine that Zidane looks at this and thinks, well, we were perfect there and we don't need to improve. I'm pretty sure he's sitting down looking looking at how to figure it out. You know, h- how long that will take, we don't know, because Zidane's like, progress tends to happen in spurts. We might see this for a couple more games, and then suddenly it's all fixed. But I, I, I do believe that Zidane will look at this and and, and try to improve on this. Yeah, well, it's yeah. it's such a it requires so much cohesiveness, right? Like, yeah, was it the beginning of last season where we had just so we we couldn't figure out why Real Madrid wouldn't press, and then when they would, it just looked so just disjointed mm-hmm. against Valencia mm-hmm. at the Mestalla, like kind of peaked at how bad it was because you had one player rotating and the other one wouldn't, and then everything would collapse, right? Mm-hmm. And then they got so good at it to the point like. It was amazing to end the season last season. It was amazing in the Super Cup. And I actually just went and wrote, wrote about it, like how amazing it's been. And then um, it, it's we haven't really seen that level of, of elite pressing that we saw in the Super Cup since that Super Cup, I find. Like, I, I feel like it. we do it sometimes and it's it's not always... It's not always fluid. It's not always cohesive. It, I think that'll come. You have some players you have to integrate. Like, I don't know how, if if Zidane wants to get Ceballos to play like Cruz, I doubt it. Like, it's not really his game. But I, I do wonder how this, how, more, how much better it'll look, you know, as season progresses because there are new, new faces to integrate. Um, and Zidane has said himself, like, my goal is to peak, you know, in April and, and May. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, right now, it's just 
we do our best. We try to keep afloat. We deal with injuries. We deal with rotations. Gabe, I know I know you mentioned the, the kinks, and one thing that I forgot to bring up, um, which I, I'm sure the topic we all want to talk about is Casemiro, who is yeah. like was a kink was a kink in this game because, um, you know, like I tweeted like this is classic Casemiro. Like he's so good at so many things and so bad at so many things. And in this game, to kind of exemplify that, he had five successful tackles, the most of the team. He, him and Asensio were also the two players the most dispossessed. Um, and his passing accuracy was uh, seven, what was it? Uh, 70, 79%. Um, Which is really low for a holding midfielder on a team of you know, ball handlers. Like that's that's not good. <laughs> Considering it's a position that you really like, it, so much gets channeled through it, right? Like it's yeah. such an important role, and and some of those misplaced passes led to counterattacks, and then some of his um, ball retention saved goals. And then the other thing was that he just he has zero awareness, I find, of where he is in the referee's book. Like, it's mm-hmm. as if he has yeah. this mental thing, like, oh, my God, I am invincible. I've never been sent off. I can do whatever the fuck I want. And he got away with not getting a second yellow on the Inui when he stepped on Inui's foot. Somehow, Inui, after the game, said Casemiro didn't, didn't foul me. I don't know why, but he that clearly was a foul, did. It looked, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, yeah, so it's the, the thing with, like, Casemiro is, like, we, we've seen, like, steady progression with this guy, right? Like, 15, 16 was his breakout season. Then in 16, 17, like, he, he started, okay, then he was injured. And when he came back, he was really bad. It was, like, the worst I've seen him for, like, five or six games. And then, then came the key stretch of the season. He just exploded. He was scoring goals. He was doing everything. He looked like improved in every facet of play. And then the European Super Cup, we saw, like, one of his best games, right? Yeah. Like, he, he was... He was distributing the ball well. He was he was helping the the pace of play you know move quicker when when he was facilitating possession. He was good under pressure, and then this game and like it was the last one or either the one before where I started to feel like well, Casemiro seems to have dipped off a bit, fallen back into a little bit of his bad habits when he receives the ball under pressure and doesn't necessarily look up, and he's starting to get a little aggressive because I think all it took for Casemiro to fall apart a little bit this game was he. I think it was because like Ibar didn't kick the ball out when um, Ceballos. I think it was Ceballos who went down. It was yeah. some other player, and then Casemiro got really frustrated. Yeah. He went up to another guy and started fighting, and then he got carded. And that's it. He he kind of lost himself a little bit the entire game. He was throwing, you know, he 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 was throwing himself in dangerous tackles, and he, he was losing the ball. And that's that's honestly his biggest problem to, to to improve on now because he's gotten better under pressure. He's he's still I wouldn't say he's at an elite level, but he's gotten to the point where like you, you wouldn't say every game oh well he's a liability. He's gotten better at, at passing the ball around and stuff, but his issue with discipline is still a big thing, and it might take him being sent off in the game because honestly I have no idea how Casemiro has not been sent off in his career because it seems insane, right? Yeah, <laughs> it's a huge mystery of the universe. It really it is. It's like the the guy exemplifies red card. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, him and Sergio Ramos. You think yeah, those are the rashest guys on the squad, and Ramos gets penalized for it often. And then you look at Casemiro, who has the same rate of like fouls, <laughs> same rate of yellow cards, and then the red cards aren't there. And you're like, wow, that's that's pretty incredible. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where 
it's interesting, and you say that he's not aware or whatever, but I don't think that you can never have been sent off and play the way he he plays and not also be aware of where you are in the referee's book. Maybe like, he's aware, but he really believes it's like a it's like a spell like that. that he has yeah, like maybe, a, it's a superpower that like you just can't get sent off, and then he can do whatever. Drank from he wants. like an enchanted cup, like one time in the dressing room somewhere, like the ghost of like. Uh, I don't know, Fernando Hierro like, left a cup somewhere and he was like, you know, I got sent off all the time when I was playing, but if you drink from this, you won't ever be sent off. Uh, maybe maybe Ramos decided to take all the cards for both of them and, and you know, that's how it's working. Like a seance. I like that idea. That's cool. I, I'm into that. Uh, well, yeah, so I think the other um, narrative from this match that I think we should at least discuss is uh, the kind of change that the team went underwent when Kareem Benzema came on. Yes. He, get, he got, like, quite a bit of run in this match. He came on a minute, like, 65 or so for Asensio. And I I mean, a lot of, pe- a lot of us have been under fire for a while for being, you know, Benzema boosters. He was great today, and, and he really changed the complexion of the side going forward. Yeah. I, I, I mean... What what can you say? That's like what Karim Benzema provides to Real Madrid in a nutshell was what that little cameo was. I mean, instantly, like, we look better, right? I mean, we, we should note, I think it, it, he came on like, oh, no, he came on with was 2-0. So, like, Ivar wasn't as good in the second half, but they weren't lying down. They were still pushing forward. They were still trying to play, and he just changed the complexion of the game, right? His movement, his, his sweet little touches, his his intensity, um, it it's really great to see when when Benzema feels it, it's something else. And I I think like I think we should just like continue to add that caveat because when we say these things about Benzema, like people freak out. Well, they're like, well, what about his in- inconsistent performance last season? Well, Keon and I over and over again like have mentioned right how how Benzema didn't play play well enough at that time and how we felt he's kind of on the decline a little bit. But I think yeah. specifically this season, the way he's opened the season, besides he's besides his finishing. I think he, he's he's played really well, and people yeah. will get annoyed with that. But I think you can also say the same for Ronaldo because his goal to xG ratio is like the same as Benzema's. It's the both of them are not doing so great in the league in that respect. But both of them, I think, have honestly played quite well without scoring, and that's not the worst problem to have because the goals are going to come. Yeah, know? and and that's I think that's the story of the team partially, right? Like the yeah. team actually, it's one of those situations where the team actually has looked pretty good. And they're just underperforming that goal to XG ratio. And teams like you know, there are other big teams that have been struggling. Like look at Juventus; they are not passing the eye test in the way that this Real Madrid side is. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's there. It will come, and and whether that comes enough to like lead to this being a successful year trophy wise is still to be determined. But like, it's better to be in this position where. Mm-hmm. You know the eye, they're passing the eye test, and, and and Benzema especially passing it with flying colors today. He looked beautiful. You know, in that, I gotta tell you guys that pass to Marcelo for the assist on the third goal was really sublime, and and the kind of pass that only a few people in the world can make. And I don't mean like, you know, just in like the 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 technical quality required, but I mean in the vision because it's a pass that is going totally against the run of play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, like, if you see everyone going one direction and then he, despite the entire eye, everything in his body going that direction also, he passes it back to Marcelo and he notices that everyone's momentum is taking them the wrong direction to set Marcelo up. It was an incredibly good pass. 
and, and the vision that it required. Just just brilliant, I thought. And it's the kind of thing that we've been talking about all the time. You say link-up play. Well, this is literally the definition of link-up play, right? And he is the third, since 2009-2010, the three players that have assisted the most in La Liga are, you know, Lionel Messi, Cristiano Ronaldo, and Karim Benzema. Those are the three players that have had the most assists. So I, 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 I think that that's what we mean when we talk about link-up play. And I know that this is kind of a joke that... And also, some people get a little pissed off, but like, <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of like we should have a trigger warning every time we want to say link up play because there's some people <laughs> get really irritated when we say that. But I, I think I think you know it, it it that term still does have value because I I honestly thought Asensio and Isco played fairly well today, but there's still I don't think it was particularly obvious moments, but there were a couple times on the counterattack where Ronaldo was going to run through on goal, and you're like, whoa. Benzema or James, who are these kinds of players who look for those kinds of runs, would make that pass. But Isco would, uh, you know, hesitate. He's a little bit safer in possession. He'll say, "No, I- I'm going to pass it a little flatter. I'm not going to make that killer ball." And then Asensio would say, "Well, you know what? I want to beat it, beat a defender first before I make that pass." And Ronaldo was, he was a little frustrated that game. And then I, I noticed you tweeted, Gabe, that Benzema comes on. I was came on because I think it's going to be a confidence booster for Ronaldo, and I think that is part of it because. Ronaldo does play a lot better when he's with Benzema it's because it, it, it's not that Asensio and Isco are selfish, but at the speed at which Ronaldo makes his runs, it, it's like telepathic. Benzema understands it, and instantly he'll he'll play a ball into Ronaldo, and it has to happen within that second, otherwise yeah. Ronaldo's offside. Now, in particular, I think that was exemplified by this one run, and I mentioned it in the halftime show. But like uh, when you know there there was a there was a there's a period when Asensio was breaking on goal and it was him and two defenders running behind him and then Ronaldo on the other side of the pitch. And if he first or even second times that pass across the pitch to Ronaldo, Ronaldo probably is free on goal. And Asensio doesn't quite Mm -hmm. see it. You see him notice it. And then it's a little bit too late. He slows it down and Madrid kind of reset. But Ronaldo kind of threw up his hands. And it's because, like, you expect... It's not that you expect it, but, like, you want... The people, when you're playing at this this speed, you want and you require a, uh, the service from, you know, players at at the same speed at which you're running, at which your mind and and body is operating, and it feels mm-hmm. like Benzema and Ronaldo really have that connection uh, when they're going forward. Mm-hmm. Gabe, did you see the comments in our latest podcast? No. <laughs> Wait, what what did they say? Someone's... <laughs> Someone said, "Stop criticizing Benzema." Yeah, that that was that was funny as hell, man. Oh, fuck, like, are you kidding me? Fuck? Dude, we just can't win, man. Like, it's impossible we, we, to win. Dude, we get harassed like on social media, like all over the place for like fucking defending Benzema, and then and now we have people that aren't happy enough with like our defense. But like, guys, talk it out between you, form a unified stance, and figure out whether we're too pro Benzema or too anti Benzema. Because like, I don't know how to fucking respond to this. It's <laughs> unbelievable. Like, we've been so pro like we get shat on all the time like it's so funny like i'd made before that last show key and i made a joke it was like i can't wait to hear all the benzema haters and like someone was coming at me on 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 social media with it and like now and then as soon as we get the pods like oh well you guys are so mean like you guys are so mean stop criticizing it's like come on <laughs> it's always the same shit though. that's I mean, good it's it's good on some level you know it, it, that was because of the did you guys was that because of the you guys did a Tottenham pod. It and was then, a Tottenham pod, yeah. I mean, it was, I mean criticism, it was, 
Yeah. I mean, criticism for Benzema there is, like, fair, right? He missed two clear chances. Like, we're not averse to criticizing Benzema. It's just that, right. like, we, we, see, we see qualities in him that I think either Madrid fans don't see or just they don't want to because, like, Benzema's not the type of player that they want him to be. No, look, right. I, I mean, Benzema, I, I thought the Tottenham game, I thought Benzema, that was even outside of the scoring issues. I thought that was actually just his worst yeah. game of the season. I, don't, I just don't think he was good. I But... I don't know if I've seen a more polarizing figure in the past two years. Like, to the point, like, it's, like, beyond us. It's transcended us. Now it's, like, online. Yeah. <laughs> Gary Lineker <laughs> and Zidane are, like, Zidane is, like, the Managing Madrid podcast, and Lineker is, like, the commenters. <laughs> just, yeah, I just want to remind everybody that Gary Lineker shat himself during <laughs> a World Cup game on the pitch. I just every like I know that like he's saying he's a commentator and all that shit, but that happened. He did that, and like we, I'm not saying that should like color our, your opinions about him, but he he shit himself during a World Cup game. Like that happened. You can look that up on YouTube. I I gotta admit, like I I actually thought the whole thing was overblown because I when I went and actually read all of his tweets, it wasn't like over the top criticizing. He like asked questions. He's like, is Benzema really that good? I mean. He must be, like, if he's won three titles. Like, if you go and read him and his replies, I think people kind of took his words out of context. It's it's not so much that one as I think, like, also what, what like, flamed it. I think it was in this game where, like, Kane, Kane scored against Liverpool, I think. And I think I think it was in as a result of that that Lineker tweeted, and he was like, um, Harry Kane scores a goal, but, like, Zidane continues to start Benzema because he thinks he's the best striker in the world. Like, two completely unrelated things, like, just to take an <laughs> unnecessary shot at Benzema. You're like, dude, what the fuck are you talking about? And then, like, and then it's almost like, I don't know, maybe Benzema actually read that tweet because the Tottenham game was before ours, and he came on and he killed it. And, yeah, he and I, I tweeted something at Lineker because, you know, I, I thought that was a really good response, but I, it, he he, he just, tweeted again after this game. Did you see that? Oh, what did he say? He said, "Brilliant assist from Benzema. With this sort of quality, it's hard to understand why Zidane left him out of the starting lineup." What? <laughs> but obviously, <laughs> sarcastically. Oh, okay. I thought I thought he was being serious. I was like, Jesus Christ! Yeah. Online shit is so hard to tell. Well, though. he put I a mean, wink like... face at the end. That's why. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> He did shit himself, though. You can look that up. That's true. That's I mean, fact. That's amazing. I, I actually, I only knew that because of this whole feud and people kept pointing that out, but I didn't really? know that before yet. <laughs> I, I heard you that. Man. Yeah, he should never live that down. I mean, when he has good opinions, you don't have to remind him. But like when he has bad opinions, like you should remind him of that. Just like <laughs> anyone like online has done stupid shit. Were All you right. guys watching the be in be in feed on this on this game? Yeah. Yes, I dude. They were calling Ceballos like Ceballos. Ce- Ceboya. Like Ce- there was like a five <laughs> minute stretch where the commentator kept calling Ceballos Ceboya. Yeah, and he, he corrected watching it in English. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he corrected himself afterwards, but it was pretty funny. That's funny. Also, I, I had mine on in Spanish. That, also, that was not I, a problem. Can I clear this up? Because I've heard, like, in two games now, they've, they've, they've called Ashraf Akrof. So, like, I'm starting to think I might be wrong. Like, is it Akrof or is it Ashraf? Like, what, what is it? I don't know. We have to ask the Moroccans. We have the, to ask the, someone, the Castilla like, commentators not... always said Ashraf. But, like, but yeah, it's, it's Ashraf or uh, maybe it's Akhraf, right? But, like, yeah. I, I can't imagine that it's Atraf, right? Because it just doesn't make any sense phonetically from that. Yeah, they were saying it with, like, a K, right? Like, they were saying making the C-H sound with, like, a K, and that that was something I'd never heard before. Could be. I, Could be. 
was it on BN that they were doing that? That's, that no, it's a good question. I'm interested if yeah, anyone. I mean, it, it happened in like I think it was the Tottenham game, and like people gave them some shit for it, and then I was like, well, it, it, they must be saying it wrong. And then it happened also in this game with two different commentators. So I'm thinking now I'm starting to think, well, maybe it actually is pronounced that way because I know they do get sheets. I think telling them how to pronounce players' yeah. names. So it's also their yeah. job. So I think they research that. <laughs> in, in well, right, but like that you would think that but then you have these commentators who have just the fucking worst pronunciations ever so like (laughs) maybe they did but it doesn't matter i mean look if we have any um, listeners from you know anywhere that that is the an arab uh, arabic speaking nation like hit us up or if you're an arabic you know native arabic speaker we're interested in in how the hell you pronounce his name because (laughs) I, i i don't know how um I'm just going to stick with Ashraf until we're told yeah. otherwise, though, guys. Yeah. These particular commentators, I've been getting them a lot on my feeds lately, and they're the same crew during Barca Atleti. They were talking about how the pitch length, at the grass length at Atleti Stadium is taller oh, than what Barcelona is used to at the Camp Nou. Oh, my And they, they brought up <laughs> Wait, the so measurements. The they were saying the exact measurements. Commentator on BN now? Yeah. It's it's and it wasn't the Ray Phil crew. It was just two other people. Yeah. Xavi Hernandez. Xavi Hernandez has found a he's found a fucking job, guys. Finally, I took him a while. <laughs> uh, let's jump into our questions here because um, it seems like we're we're slowing down the actual analysis. Jen. So this is the other I think uh, question from the match. Jen wants us to talk a little bit about the substitution. So Jen asks. Uh, can you guys walk me through Zizou's substitutions today? They they made me confused and nervous, and I'd like to know what you guys thought. Uh, so we already discussed Benzema a little bit. I think that uh, – I, I don't know if I can speak for all of us, but I think I, I was really glad to see Benzema come on. I actually thought it was a perfect match for him, and uh, I don't – I think he proved me basically right. <laughs> yeah, I think the Benzema and Lucas for Isco and Asensio were – pretty straightforward like i think the the more interesting one was marcella for ceballos because people a lot of people thought that this was even the commentators included that it was just going to be like a repeat of levante where mm-hmm. teo and marcelo act as like this wing left wing duo but it really wasn't like that and it was oh. strangely it was almost like a like for like sub where marcelo actually just went into the, the i wanted to say midfield trio but he was playing so high at the pitch that it felt like he was playing the front three like, he was playing off the shoulder of defender. He was, like, playing internally. Like, he was, you know, tucked in a bit. He was almost playing the Isco role when yeah. he came in. It was very cool. And, like, yeah. he was basically playing the role, like, where he got the ball and he scored from. Like, that's where he was. <laughs> Although I was I, writing my reaction, so I didn't see the end of the game. So it's not really completely accurate. I, so maybe Om has a better, better yeah, view I mean, of I have no idea why Zidane likes that because when we saw with Levante, the problem was is they both hung out in essentially the same areas and we lost that bit of dynamism because usually when someone plays on the flank, the winger will kind of go central. He would either move into the half space to like create this passing triangle or he move into the box so he can overload that situation. And it just didn't happen like that. So like our left wing was like weirdly nullified. Um, it, it worked today because Marcelo moved in like an inverted winger and he made like central runs and he caused chaos that, that way. But I, I I don't know why he'd do that. I, I, I wrote an article, you know, prompted by that Levante game talking about how Zidane takes like squad rotation into account before anything else. 
And I think that's just the case here. Like, I think Zidane has a system, like, he's constantly trying to figure out who needs minutes. How do I keep everyone happy? How do I keep everyone fit? And I don't know, maybe he thought that Marcelo coming on would, would, would keep him a little sharp. Um, I, 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 don't, I don't think it was a tactical consideration. Maybe not. I really liked Marcelo in that role. I've, I've said for a while that I think that Marcelo is actually arguably Madrid's best dribbler. Like, he is shockingly strong and, and dynamic when he's when the ball's at his feet. And I think it's kind of makes sense to put him in that position. Obviously, he doesn't have quite the eye for the pass that maybe some other players do, but he really he he works space well, really well, considering that he's actually a left, you know, left back, left winger. And I mean, it was borne out in, in that in that combination with Benzema, like Marcelo's couple of touches on that play were were really world class. And you know, I actually love the idea of Marcelo coming in as kind of a wreaking havoc type player, like just, you know, at the end of a match saying you're fast, you, you know, give your all every second you're on the pitch. Why don't you take 10 minutes to run at this team in kind of a central slash central left area of the pitch? And, you know, I, it worked out. It was it worked shockingly well. And uh, it, it could be a proof of concept for future matches for Zidane just in terms of like where just and adding versatility to players' portfolios, I think, is always good when they perform well with that versatility. Right. So like a Marcelo who can only play at left back is a less useful Marcelo than someone who can play at left back and at like left wing slash center mid. I mean, I I think that's valid. I mean, I something also popped into my mind. Like, I, I think that could be a valid consideration, right? Because Zidane sort of is thinking in these total football terms, so he wants players to be versatile. I also think maybe Marcelo came on along with Benzema co- coming on to, like, help Ronaldo. And not, yeah. in the, not in the sense that, oh, Ronaldo controls the team and, and Zidane's only purpose is to get him to score, but because it's a good thing for Real Madrid to get Ronaldo going and, it's, and, and we need him to start getting on a run of goals now if we want to hunt down... <clears throat> Barcelona and the La Liga table and Marcelo and Benzema are the two guys who understand Ronaldo the most on this team and so that could have been a possible reason among other things that Gabe was talking about and like I mentioned before yeah yeah that all makes sense to me I I definitely didn't hate it like and I definitely wasn't nervous about it as some fans said they were nervous about the sub like at no point did I feel threatened by Abar like in the second half I thought because Real Madrid actually defended well, and Abar, even when Abar started venturing forward and you know getting possession, Real Madrid just had people behind the ball. They weren't gambling, and yeah. I definitely was okay with the sub. It kind of like cautiously, I'd say this because I I couldn't really find another parallel like a left winger slash left back playing high up the pitch internally. It was like for a, <laughs> for a second there, it reminded me of Di Maria. Mm-hmm. Interesting. But, yeah, I like that. I definitely didn't. It, I definitely didn't hate it. Like Marcelo was definitely talented enough to hold his own in the final third, so it's not a big deal to me. This this actually also answers Anton Hackberg's question. <laughs> I just want to shout out that actually. So you, Anton wanted us to talk about Teo and Marcelo at the same time. What's our take? Well, this is basically our take. What you just heard on on that situation today. Um, all right, so Nate McDougall asks this. Uh, so this is an interesting question. What are your thoughts on instant replays on plays such as the Barcelona goal that shouldn't have counted pros and cons? So, Nate, I and a lot of people, I think, are – I mean, I'm a huge 
instant replay and VAR fan as long as they do it basically the way they've done it so far, which is with it taking a minimal amount of time. Because any time, like the way they do it in hockey, Nate, is basically they have uh, a referee who's sitting in the booth whose entire job is to do VAR. That's much better than the way they do it in American football, where they stop the game and have the game referee run to the side and look at a small screen and then make a call. So if, if as long as the, the league implements it that way, then yeah, of course they should absolutely do that. I mean, we already have seen huge steps forward in goal line technology, and that is the the most obvious no-brainer of all of these technologies is goal line technologies. And, you know, the truth is that out-of-bounds technology should really basically shouldn't be any harder than goal line technology. So I mean, the, La Liga doesn't have goal line, right? No, I don't think no. so. Oh, Jesus. No. I just I just want to say that these types of technology was invented specifically for this league because the referees are so bad. Like that that's why we have this technology because, you know, FIFA or, or whoever came up with this will think, you know, we have this right like because referees are going to make a minimal amount of mistakes, but La Liga more than any other league needs this because of the amount of mistakes referees keep making. Um like the the line the the line referee like he should have seen the ball out of bounds there and he didn't notice and it, it looked fairly obvious from when I saw it I don't know maybe in real time it was harder but it just astounds me that La Liga being the league with arguably the worst worst refs in the top five European leagues does yeah. not have this technology they don't even have goal line technology which isn't I mean it's no problem at all the referee just looks at his watch and and, and we know like the fact that we don't have that's astounding and I I'm I'm totally for this because. Even if there's a little problem with time and it stretches on a little bit, it is worth it because the amount of mistakes made in this league can really change games. And, and fans are constantly complaining about it. So I think I think yeah. figuring out VAR and stuff is a better problem. Than We're actually. also seeing it proof of concept in the ML, in, in MLS right now where uh, it's widely been embraced by fans and, and where we've seen it be really important even today where, you know, t- um, uh, Seattle Sounders had a player ejected on a VAR replay because he elbowed someone in the face. And then, you know, Atlanta United had a penalty that was given uh, after a quick VAR. Like, it was, again, VAR, it, it's quite quick when it's done correctly. And it's such an obvious thing. <laughs> you know, it's it's like, you know, when we, you have the technology to get these kind of calls right and and it's calls that when you miss them bring the integrity of the sport into question like mm-hmm. th- that 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 call against Malaga like that is it's very hard to miss that kind of call if you're a referee and have people not ask questions about like you know bias and that kind of stuff and it's just and I know that they've happened for Madrid also some of these calls but like that's that's an impossibly it's it, it's a call that really nine it's 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 a call that if you're not getting right 99 times out of 100, then you're there's something up with the refereeing, and and I think it's willing, it's okay to take ask questions about it, which is why VAR is such an important part of the mm-hmm. game, and especially that I mean, like goal line technology is such a no brainer too because it doesn't even require like the 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 stoppage in time for video replay. Like the goal line technology is so easy that it, it literally you can have like a little bell go out in the referee's ear when the ball goes across the line. Like it's, it's nothing. So like the fact that Spain hasn't implemented that, it, it just shows how backward and awful this league is. <laughs> well, just a few things. So yeah, it is, it's the league that needs it the most that obviously doesn't have it. And obviously a barrier from before was Tebas 
making the silly statement that it's too expensive and it's like four million euros <laughs> a year or something. Christ. And um, but I mean, he was stealing more than that. So, <laughs> <laughs> but maybe they have that money now. Sorry, go ahead. Um, and it, I mean, it's like you, and it's not obviously it's not just Barcelona. Real Madrid. The whole league is getting shitted on. Like this, this, this weekend started with Geta, the very first game in La Liga. Getafe, like right away. Had a perfect legit goal disallowed for off for offside. That clearly wasn't offside. And but the, the one thing I did remember, and I just looked it up to double check, I was remembering correctly that uh, VAR is actually being tested in the Copa del Rey this season. I don't know if you know that. All right, it's good. From the thir- yeah. from the round of thirty two and on, it's going to be implemented. And hopefully, okay. hopefully. We'll see you next season. I don't know. Baby, baby steps, but you know, I'll take it. Yeah, I'll take any any steps at all because these all organizations are so horrible. All right, Blake Brown asks us. Uh, I thought Asensio actually had his best best game of the year, but he missed a couple of passes. Uh, passes um, choosing to shoot uh, instead. What is the difference between this year and last year for him? I think he is pressing with his limited chances. First, that's the first question. We got another one in a second. Um. I don't know if he's pressing. I mean, like, we saw him start off this year as in absolutely scintillating form against Barcelona. And, you know, he hasn't, like many other players on the team, right, guys, he hasn't uh, been able to, he hasn't finished his chances at quite the elite level that he was finishing his chances. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, I don't know if this was his best game, but he'd been off the boil for the past three or four. So I definitely think this was his best game in a while. Um, yeah, there were some passing decisions that were off, which we went on, which we, we talked about before. That wasn't necessarily selfishness. It was more, you know, him not being comfortable with the speed. He had to make the decision, and then he, he decided to do something else. I mean, I think there is also a bit of overconfidence, though. Like, asking what's different, bet- different between Asensio last year and this one, it's Asensio really believes he can pull off anything he wants to pull off. So sometimes you just see him run at a player, when he doesn't need to, and you're like, dude, what are you doing? And he'll like get past one, and then three other guys will close on him, or he'll just decide to shoot from a ridiculous angle, which I think he did in in this match, like in the 20th minute or something. You're like, yeah, you just have no, yeah, no chance of scoring. So that's the biggest difference. And honestly, it's not bad to have confidence. Like, I think it's really a maturity thing, like how to manage his his um his optimism and and how to get that to work positively for him. That's just something like all young guys have so he'll figure that out as time goes on yeah i i don't believe this whole like blake says it like he writes it rationally when he writes this but like there's others who like if you go on facebook and you look at the, the people who want to you know their question answered on this podcast is like is and this is recurring it was why is essential so selfish and yeah yeah i don't buy that conspiracy that like they're out to like get ronaldo and bail and they don't pass it and <laughs> like it I understand that decision making could improve for Asensio. I think the biggest difference for him from this season and last season is like, and I cautiously say this because I have no proof of this, but I, I think his head got a little bigger. Um, I think he's confident he, he can, you know, what he wants to do with the ball, and I think that's okay. I think you want a player like that. Um, like I said, I think I think you have to live with his decision making as you go through the growing pains. Like you give both him. And Isco and Sabayas, you give them the you know the keys to the car, and by the time they actually drive it, it, you know, 
and, and steer it, they're going to crash it a few times and they're going to make a lot of mistakes and they're going to make bad decisions. To the point where I thought, like, if you go look at Ronaldo at <laughs> the end of this game, he was shooting from, like, every angle possible, like, <laughs> just, just to get his goal. Like, as if there was a mathematical chance of that ball going in, he would shoot from there, like, at most acute angles. And I think he was just frustrated. But I also, the flip side is that, like, some people complain when Asensio didn't pass to Ronaldo in the second half. But then you look at where Ronaldo is, and he's really not in a better place than Asensio. I, I think that I think that was Isco. Like remember when he was, was played free on? Oh, maybe. Yeah, he was played. He was played free on goal, and he took a poor shot that went straight. Yeah, at the you're keeper. right. It was Isco. And yeah. initially, I was like, "Dude, Isco, what the hell are you doing?" But if you look at the replay, Ronaldo was surrounded by three defenders. Yeah, I think so, there was a cutback to another player that would have made sense, but yeah, definitely yeah. So not to Ronaldo. Ronaldo. So that was that was the decision people really got pissed off about. But on replay, it. Isco had every right to shoot there. So if there was someone who wanted us to address that, like, I mean, it, it's my opinion that he, he should have shot, he did shoot, and he was right to do it. He just should have shot better. Yep. I agree with that entirely. All right, the second part of Blake's question, we've already dealt with a little bit. Marcelo in the middle looked pretty good, and I thought Teo had a very good game or had a great game. I I wanted to just answer this quickly because we already talked about Marcelo in the middle, but I actually also thought Teo had a great game. Um... I, I'm I'm really into this kid. I think he brings absolutely a tremendously versatile, awesome option. I really I'm hugely a fan. I think that my my main critique, Keon, and I saw you tweet a little bit about this also, was that I I felt like he tried he, he tended to do a little much uh, when he had the ball, like uh, you know mm-hmm. a, a little you know, maybe take a dribble too much too many or try a tougher pass than he really needed to or or whatever and. That that's the kind of thing that comes with time and 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 experience and not not confidence. Like he has the confidence, and he has the skill, and he's he's really fast. Yeah, I I th- I think with the thing with Teo is that he the things he could improve on is one his 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 crossings like his actual like final ball like the 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 product and the quality of the pass the cross, knowing when to cut back instead of doing a weighted cross and vice versa. Um, and then actually just putting in a good a good cross. Um, and also maybe just... But you know what? Like, what I love about him, and I think I think it would be so hard to defend him because he's he's like a bowling ball. Like, he just he plows through, like, with mm-hmm. such pace. He gets to balls that you don't even think he has any business getting to. And he's strong, and I just can't imagine. It's just terrifying to see that coming at you. And I think he just brings pure chaos, like, in a good way. And I think like he can improve on certain things, but I'm definitely a fan of his game. Like I, I really like him. Yeah. 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 I don't. Uh, I was just gonna say I don't really have anything to add, and I agree with everything you guys said. <laughs> All right. Well, good. That's that's good. Uh, it's always a good position to just kind of agree. Uh, Mark, <laughs> Lee, it is. No, it, it, it is. We're we're smart, you know. We want to prove <laughs> that we have good soccer brains. <laughs> Mark Reedy. Uh, asks us, how good is Benz? Also, I think that's just a statement. Also, what are your thoughts on the double left wing back that Zidane keeps trying? Uh, so we already talked about that. Uh, can we get some praise for Baran? We started the show a little bit with that, but I think we should end it also with talking about Benzema and Baran, our two Frenchmen. Uh, I also want to mention that Teo is kind of up for grabs in the in the selection world. I, I think Spain, if I were Spain, I'd, I'd give him a call. Like that, that left back position in Spain is not a done deal, I think, in, in the long term. So, yeah, he could be a great answer. And 
you know, if France isn't going to call him, man, that that is that's definitely someone I'd call for Spain. But he he also doesn't want to get called up by France. He wants to play for Spain. So really, yeah, yeah I thought, he said that before. So today yeah. I thought um, he said, yeah, I'm waiting for. I'm basically I'm waiting for a call. Oh, I, so, I didn't. Oh, really? I didn't, know I didn't see him say anything today. So yeah, but generally he said in the past that he's he he wants to avoid playing for France because he's waiting for a Spain call up. But I, maybe he said something different today. I don't know. Well, either way, I would I would try what? to get on that sooner rather than later. <laughs> were you going to say oh, something? Gonna say so- yeah, I was going to ask who's the starting left back for France because I it just can't seem to come to Dean, me. Dinia was starting. Uh, I mean, I understand. Like honestly, it's a personal decision, right? Which country you want to play for? But from purely a, a footballing perspective, you'd think he'd want to go to France because he had a higher chance of starting there. Like I think Teo could be useful for Spain, but. I think it's going to be a while before he starts over Jordi Alba. Um, well, Spain has, is, is also very deep at the left-back position. But yeah. it's not like, you know, Teo's so young that it doesn't, almost doesn't really matter exactly who's ahead of him right now. Um, but yeah, I mean, right now it's Digne. Um mm-hmm. And I remember looking at the um, the depth chart for France. And apart from Digne, there was there was like at least three or four other players that who could who could definitely play there um but yeah as far as i as far as i remember it's it's basically he's he's looking at um he's, he's he, he would rather play for spain i mean spain also has i mean left it's it's tough because these real two-way wingers are such rare commodities like it's hard to to pinpoint someone that I would rather have long term on my left back than tail, right? Like he is seen like everything that we've seen so far suggests that he's the real deal. Like there's a reason Madrid broke that non-aggression back to that lady to get him. Yeah. I he I mean with 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 Alaves he was unbelievable, right? And he's so young. Like he has so much time ahead of him. Like basically right now Spain have Alba there. They have uh you know, Marcus Alonso can play then Nacho Monreal, who's really no one, no one's gonna cry if he doesn't play. Um, <laughs> Gaia, they have Gaia coming up there, you know, like and Johnny, who are younger. Like I think, I guess someone like Gaia would be like one of his main competitors in Spain. But still, like he definitely has enough talent to crack the team. I think. Speaking of like young players, sorry guys, I'm supposed to be one of the experts here, but like. <laughs> what's what's it <laughs> i need to ask a question like what's the news with vallejo because like i thought that he was he was good with his injury and he's back in the squad because like that's the youngster i'm most excited about and like i really want to see him play like because i want fans to see just how good this kid is like do you guys know like what's the timeline like when he when he's coming back or like when he's gonna start well he he's back because um yeah. so, i mean like he played for the under twenty one team over the international break. He started. No, he's back. He's yeah. ready. Uh, it's just that Baran and, and Ramos are very ready also, and they're very good. And right. not and so I, I would expect. I think obviously Madrid starting the Copa, so I think that we we should expect Vallejo to play in the Copa. I think that's right. certain. I, I don't know why I was under the pressure that Vallejo wasn't back. Like he just completely fell under my radar like the past three weeks. No, and that's fair because he's been out and. You know, I think that he and the board and everyone kind of have a very long-term projection, so they're not super worried about, like, 
him coming along instantly like they are a little bit with Sebaios, who they feel I my my guess is that they feel like if he isn't you know coming along and excited right away then he's gonna demand a trade and it's gonna be a problem and you know that so they they have to give him time whereas but yeah who like he he's got the number three shirt like they that mm-hmm. th- that is a lot of belief in that kid and and I think it's not a catastrophe that he hasn't come along yet because mm-hmm. they do seem to have a very long-term view with him. And I, I think that he also, everything that I've heard from him, he also feels that way. So, you know, he, and he's been giving great performances at the international level. So I, I don't think that he's gone unnoticed. So I, I would imagine him playing in the Copa and then we'll see him, I would imagine, popping in uh, in more Liga games going forward. By the way, Om, like, and Gabe, I mentioned the, the players he's, com- uh, Teo is completing, competing with in Spain. Here are the players he's competing with in France. So Dinya, uh, Benjamin Mendy, Kurzawa, uh, Evra, and Clichy. The latter two are, you know, dinosaurs, but there's like five players who That's still that's still a pretty stacked lineup. Yeah, so I don't is. I don't yeah, it, it's tough to tell what which um which lineup would be easier to get into. Yeah, I don't know. I I, I, th- I still think it'll be France that'll be a bit tiny bit easier. But, yeah, yeah. yeah. But then the right, thing guys. with Spain is you also have players who can play that position, like Nacho and Aspilicueta, if they if you needed them to. That's a good point. Yeah. Anyways. All right, gentlemen. Um, it was good talking to you this week. We'll be back. Uh, I think we have Churuti Taktika, Let's Big Football, and we've got our patron-only show. Uh, get, get access to it, patreon.com slash managingmadrid. Um, Kian, do you have anything to, to plug in particular going, going up this week? Uh, nothing, no. I have... S- Perhaps something up my sleeve this week, but it's not set in stone, so we'll announce it if it happens. Um, but Sam Sharp wrote another article today. Trashing Solari. <laughs> That's Solari like every out. every Solari plug. Every plug is basically just go read Sam Sharp's article about, about Castilla. And about how bad Santiago Solari is. Like, get out, <laughs> out, out, out. Yeah, um, it's a disaster. All right, guys. Well, it's good talking to you. Well done. Welcome to the show. Uh, Kian and I will be back on uh, on Wednesday for your patron only pod. Uh, and until then, ala madri. Ala madri. Ala madri. Introducing the amazing iPhone XS you'll love on T-Mobile, the most loved in wireless. It's the perfect way to stay connected to those you heart most. Fall in love with iPhone XS on T-Mobile. And right now, trade in an eligible iPhone and you'll save $300. Visit a store or call 1-800-T-MOBILE. If you cancel service, remaining balance is due. Qualifying service and finance agreements required. $279.99 down plus 30 per month times 24. Full price $999.99. 0% APR for well-qualified buyers plus tax on full price. Allow eight weeks for rebate. Have you heard? Metro by T-Mobile now includes Amazon Prime. Yes, enjoy the best of shopping and entertainment, movies, TV shows, music, free shipping, and much more. All included for just $40 per line for three lines. All on the T-Mobile network. Discover the smarter way. Metro by T-Mobile. That's genius. One offer per account. Offer subject to change. $12.99 per month value. Offer valid for new Amazon Prime members. Metro customers may notice reduced speeds versus some T-Mobile customers. Video at 480p. Capable device required. See store for details and terms and conditions.